Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. So when Pastor Chris asked me to preach, I was trying to figure out what to preach. We're in between uh, studies. Like he said, he's starting a new one. So it's, it's one of those, it's actually harder than it thinks trying to pick a passage that there's really no flow. He came out of one series and entered into another series. And I kept getting drawn back to this passage, probably because it's my favorite. It's one of my favorite passages that I've, I teach on a regular basis. Uh, we had two youth up here tonight, which can I just say I was, I was very proud. Two of the people that were leading us in worship tonight, um, I've had them since they were in seventh grade, I believe. Uh, and now they're grown and they're leading worship. And so it's, it's one of those rare rewarding moments as a minister when you can see some of the, the fruit from the seeds maybe you planted and had some, some growth in. So don't look at them tonight because they're probably going to roll their eyes and groan because they've heard this passage a lot. I probably teach it about every year in the youth. It's one of the foundational passages for my ministry. Um, I've been mesmerized by these words since uh, I can remember reading them and studying them. And every time I look at them, something new pops up. And right now, it's just a fitting time to cover these passages. And it's coming from Matthew chapter, thir- chapter 5, 13 through 19. Familiar passage that y'all, y'all have studied, y'all have heard pre- sermons on. It's about being the salt and the light. One of the things that led me to this passage through this whole year, year and a half, is I keep coming back to this question. What does it mean to be salt? What does it mean to be light? Because this pandemic, these times have made us ask a lot of questions. A lot of things have come to light. People are having to figure out, how do I work from home and teach from home at the same time? How do I have a classroom and a work say, and how do I keep them separate? Husbands and wives are having to figure out how to be together almost 24-7 instead of going away. You've had businesses having to figure out, how do I reach people when they can't come into my store, when they can't sit down and eat at my restaurant? How am I going to make a profit? We've had churches have to ask questions of, what are we going to do when we can't gather in a room? How do we reach people for the gospel? How do we continue on the mission that God's put us on this planet for? You see, if if we get down really to the base of it, to the deep part of it, it's actually questioning our identity. It's questioning who we really are. The church has had to question who we really are as a church. Because, see, the change happens so fast. We thought this was only going to be a two-week thing, right? Last March, when it came out and it, it, it exploded and people started saying, oh, it's only going to be two weeks. We only need to quarantine for two weeks. We're only going to have to wear a mask for two weeks. We're only going to have to make these adjustments for two weeks. We can survive two weeks. Well, now it's a way of life. Whether we want to admit it or not, we can take the unprecedented out of these times because it's now normal. 
It's now normal to walk out of your house and grab a mask. It's now normal to when you get out of your car, you go, you, you know, you do, do I have my keys? Do I have my wallet? Do I have my mask? It's common now for you to work from home, to do school from home. It's become a way of life. In church, it's common now to have video cameras and to be able to preach to a camera, to people that you can't see. Having to think through what's it going to look like? What's it going to sound like? Am I impacting things? Now, as a leader, I've had my groans, if I'm going to be honest, and I still groan because it's hard. I can't have youth like I've been doing youth my entire ministry. I can't just gather together. I'm ha- Why can't we just meet together and have youth group and be like the old times? Why can't we have Sunday school? Why can't we meet together, have Bible study, and meet in a room and grow? Why can't we come and worship? Why can't we have to worry about serving? See, it's a way we've had to question who we are at the deepest level. One pastor in California who was commenting in an interview about the things going on in California and and the restrictions that has been put on place in churches out there. And he said, most churches only have one purpose, worship. And if you take worship away, you've got nothing. Churches are in a hurry to get back to worship because that's all they've got. And at first you may read that and you may become a little offended. And you may go, man, that's that's not right. He shouldn't have said that. But if we think about it, If we get down deep, he's right. Even for me, it was questioning who I am as a minister and a leader of a congregation, of a church, of a group. Is that all I'm about, this one thing? You know, Wilkesboro Baptist, we adapted something along a couple years ago when Pastor Chris came with our mission statement where it's kind of a four-part process where it's worship and learn and serve and replicate. And it's through those elements we can lead people to Jesus. We lead our neighbors and nations to follow Jesus by worshiping, by learning, by serving and replicate. And the good thing is we did that. And as a church, we've had that process in place. But yet we still have to ask the question who we really are as a community of believers. And that's where I come to this passage. Because all those things are important. But what are we to be deep down? And Jesus tells us to be deep down for the purpose of the church. The purpose of the gospel is to be salt and light. You see, Jesus came to this earth as a baby that we celebrated a couple of weeks ago. He came down for one purpose and one purpose alone. And it was to reunite humanity back to God. Because there was a big divide. Sin has separated us. Our own selfishness separates us from the glory of God where we cannot endure his blessings. We cannot get his peace. And there were all the laws and rules and we tried to get there, but we couldn't. It was only through Jesus coming down, sacrificing his life, living that perfect life so that we can be reunited with him. To have that relationship with God. That's the gospel. That's the good news that it's not by our own merits. It's by the grace and love of God through faith and what Jesus is doing through him. And he, that's, the, that's what we're here for. So how do we do that? How do we continue sharing the gospel? And Jesus says it right here in Matthew 5, 13 through 19. 
You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You see, let's start with that first word we see, you. Who's he talking to here? He's talking to you, the listener. The listener that was on that hillside that day who was hopeless, who was confused, who did not know what was going on. All they knew was a group was coming in and changing their lifestyle, changing the way it's always been, changing their traditions, and they were having to become accustomed to all these different things. That's the you. The you that were weak, that were meek, that were mourning. That's who he's talking to. He spends the first couple of verses describing this group of people as the ones that can inherit the kingdom of God. And they were not the one the most visible. They were not the loudest. They were the ordinary people that had gathered together trying to figure out who they were. You see, most of them would have probably come from a Jewish background. They would have come from Israel or the Israelite descendants, and they would have been taught Deuteronomy 7, 6, which says, For you are a holy people of the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. But they sure did not feel like they were special. At any moment, a Roman soldier could come and take anything they wanted from them. They could create taxes so much they could take away their house in an instance. But they were the people of God. They were the special ones of God. They were the ones that were supposed to have all these blessings. But yet they were the meek and the mild. They didn't have a voice. They couldn't change things. They just had to adapt. More questions came than answers. They were ordinary people. Dallas Willard in his book, he wrote, In in this book, Divine Conspiracy, he says, Jesus' proclamation raised ordinary people with no human qualifications into the divine fellowship by faith in Jesus. He took ordinary people and lifted them up. I mean, here's a random teacher, random rabbi. They were a dime a dozen back then. He stands up on a hillside and he starts preaching and the people stop and listen because he's blessed. Blessed are those Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. The poor in spirit. That's the you. The you is the person listening to this message. 
He's talking to those that are willing to listen and willing to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. To accept Jesus is the one that can change everything. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Everlasting Father. He's the Mighty Counselor. That's the one they're looking to see. And then it has, says, you are. Now, a lot of times we like to skip over these little words, right? We like to get to the meat. And even myself, who's taught this passage many a times, it wasn't until this recent that I got to are. And I said, you are, meaning it's not were. We don't have to worry about the traditions. It's not worried about what's the glory days. It's you are in this present moment. It's not about the future of what will happen. It's what you are doing right now. It's in the present moment. It's the imperative verb of you continually acting in the place that you are currently. You don't need to think about the future. You don't need to think about the past. You need to think about the present. You are currently the salt of the earth. Whether you like it or not, you are the salt of the earth. If you believe in Jesus, if you claim to be a Christian and you claim to be a Jesus follower, guess what? People are looking to you and saying, that's the salt. Now, what is salt? What would he use salt? Salt It was a common thing back then. You had the Dead Sea that was several miles south of them that they could get salt from. It was was actually a luxury that they have. Not a lot of people had the salt, but it was one of the things they could probably gather pretty easily. And they had learned a thing that they could use salt for multiple reasons. In the Old Testament, salt was considered, it was a way to bind a covenant, God tells the priest to put salt in the sacrifices as a symbolic gesture that there's a covenant relationship there. There are standards. God will save them and love them and give them blessings. And we, the people, the covenant is to listen to him and do as he says and be obedient. It was a covenant loyalty to something. It also was a seasoning. In Job, Job mentions about seasoning the food and how that's what he desired. We use it as a seasoning. That's probably what we know it for more than anything. I guarantee you, the one thing y'all have missed during this entire time, if you've gone to a restaurant, is the salt shaker on the table. You never thought you'd miss that, did you? Because it's always been there. You walk into any restaurant, you walk into any home, and there's always a salt shaker close by because as Americans, especially Americans, we love salt. We love putting salt on stuff. Some doctors have probably told some of you to lay off the salt. So not having the salt shaker on the table was probably a good thing when you go to a restaurant. But it's to add flavor. Now we can argue, and I would love to have a debate on what the best fries are, okay? but I'm not going to go there. I'm going to let you, you figure out what your best fry is. So think about the best French fry you've ever had. Okay? Now take away the salt. It ain't the same. All, now all you got is just potatoes sliced up and cooked. Like you, you, you put salt on it, right? You have a nice meal. You want salt to add flavor, to enhance flavor. The other thing you use salt for is you can use it as a disinfectant to keep bacteria from getting into your food. You can use it to keep bacteria from getting into a wound. That's what they used. So there was multiple reasons. Covenant loyalty as a seasoning and as a disinfectant. 
But have you ever really just tasted salt? Like, I had a cool idea, but with the COVID thing, and if we were in youth back in the time, I would have, I would have salt packets where you would have pulled out a salt packet from your, your pocket or gather, and you would have opened it, and I'd have had you taste salt. Because tasting salt just on its own, for most people, is not very good. It's not very good. Adding too much salt to something is not very good. That's why he says you are the salt of the earth. Meaning you are in the earth presently. There are things around you. So what do you need to do? You need to show that you have a covenant loyalty to the God. You need to show that you add some flavor into the world. And you need to add a little disinfectant to the bacteria that's causing disruption among the community. You've got to add a little salt. Which is why he gives a warning to the next thing. If you see, still in verse 13, he asks, he says, But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. This is a big warning. It's a huge warning. Because I know a lot of people right now that have lost, lost their flavor. They've lost their desire to be the salt of the earth. For whatever reason, or they've overdone it, not done it. And one of the things I was looking up, can salt lose its flavor? You know, salt is one of those things, it's a staple in your house that you can keep forever. You can keep forever. It's it's never supposed to expire but you can ruin salt by moisture. You see, what would happen back in those times is they would have to store it. They didn't have refrigerators, and they were, it was a, it's Israel, so there was some humidity there. And the moisture would come in and get into your salt, and it would, it would basically ruin it. That outside element would keep, so you would keep white substance. You wouldn't know it was bad until you start looking at it, and you put it on some food, and you realize, oh, that's just now white sand. The moisture, the outside element would affect the taste and affect the reason to even have salt. And that's why Jesus said they would go around and what good is it if it doesn't have any taste? Let's throw it out. You don't need to keep it. And this is the warning that I had for myself. Because I keep asking myself, have I lost my saltiness? When people see me, do they still see me as salt of the earth or do they just say, ah, there's nothing new to him? As Paul says it, am I just a clanging symbol? Because if you don't have love in anything you do, you're just a clanging symbol. You're no longer music. And I, I keep asking myself that as Salt can also be a sense, can be referred to as wisdom. In the, or, um, in the rabbi culture, in the, in the tradition, they would say that salt, adding salt to something is referring to the wisdom of something. And so when you lose that saltiness, you're becoming foolish. You're becoming the fool that's described in Proverbs. 
And so losing your saltiness means losing your identity that distinguishes you from the foolish world. Like I said, we are questioning the identity of who we are because the world around us is foolish. I think we can all agree on that. If you can't agree on that there is foolishness in the world, then please call me. I want to have a conversation because the world is broken. It's, I'm not saying it's broken more than it's ever been, but it's broken. At least you can see how fast the world breaks through all of our media channels, but it's broken. There's some foolishness happening around the world. And the question is, are you part of the foolishness? Or are you the salt of the earth? Have you created wisdom to separate you from that? That's what Jesus is referring to here. He's saying, do you have the wisdom to separate yourself from everybody else. Now, you're saying, how do, how do I keep from losing, how do I keep from losing that, that taste? You've got to make Jesus the eternal staple in your life. You turn to him. You know something Jesus never really did? He never pointed, at, he never pointed fingers at anybody. When he would get questioned, he would answer back in a question. He didn't point people. He didn't say it's Pilate's fault that I went to the cross. It wasn't the Pharisees that led me there. It was God's will that led me there. And it led him to giving the love and grace that we need to bind that relationship again. You see, to keep that, to keep being salty and having that being the salt of the earth, is not finger pointing, it's repenting. It's not looking at others and saying, look at what they're doing. It's looking at yourself and going, how do I change? Where have I stumbled? Where have I fallen? Because we all have fallen. It's not being defensive when our way is not the way that's going right now. It's not looking back going, well, woe is me and adding doubt and trying to discredit everybody else. No, it's being reflective of the world and saying, how can I show Jesus's love to this foolish world? That's being different. And what a time to be different is right now when everything is chaos. Archibald Hunter wrote, If Christ's men lose their characteristic tang, their fidelity to the gospel, their loyalty to their Lord, then the world is on the road to spiritual decay. So make Jesus an essential staple in your life. Let him be the one that you add flavor to, not your own desires. You are the salt of the earth. Show that you have joy in your life, the joy of the kingdom. If you start showing joy because you have love and you've accepted that, then you should be smiling from ear to ear in the middle of the chaos going, I know God's in control. And it's more than just saying it and tweeting it and putting it on Facebook and putting it on YouTube and sending it to your friends. It's actually believing it and showing people that you love them, even when they don't agree with you. See, we can add a small taste of the kingdom of God by being the salt. And the kingdom of God is through the peace that he gives us. An unbelieving world is watching and listening to you. What are you going to do about it? What are they seeing? What are they hearing? And how can you start adding the flavor of the kingdom of God? The second thing he puts us is he tells us, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand and gives light to all who are in the house. He uses this theme of light. In Genesis chapter 1, it says God is light. So we need to be God's light to all those around us. God is light. The source of light comes from God. You cannot have light unless you have God. But light penetrates darkness. Darkness does not overcome light. It doesn't matter how dark a place gets. If there's a little bit of light, you can see it. Look up when you go outside and see the stars. Those lights are a long way away. An unimaginable way away. I, I, I can't even think about how far they are, but yet we can see them in darkness. And the best place to see the stars, see these little glimmering of light is when? When it's the darkest. When the night, when you don't have any lights, right? You don't have any street lights. You don't have any house lights. You can just look at the stars and you can see how bold they are. That's what God's calling you to be. The light into the world. Just a simple thing, right? Simple. Be a light to the world. But it is simple as long as you have the source of God's light because light penetrates. Light shows God's presence, right? When you're, if you're ever caught in darkness, in a wilderness, from what I've been told, never going to try it. But if you are, the first thing you do is you light a fire to create light. Because light gives you safety. Light gives you a sense of hope. It gives you direction. And it's his first illustration, Jesus' first illustration, he says a city on a hill. Because back in those times, they didn't have street lamps. So you would walk, and if you got caught in darkness... You really, unless you knew the road really, really well, you didn't know where you were going. You could get lost. So what they would look for is they would look for a city on a hill. What made Jerusalem so great when David took it over is because it was his own little city set on a hill so nobody could miss it. And he knew that people, God's people could follow it. That's why God gave them the land of Canaan, gave them this mountainside so that they could be the light into the world. Because it doesn't matter how far down you go, you can see a little bit of light from the house, from the city, you know that's where you're going. It's a community of hope and peace. He says, you, once again, where you are, you are the light of the world. If you profess to be a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are that sense of hope for those around us, for everyone around us. You are to be that city on a hill. You are to be that community where when people look up, they see you and they run to you because they see hope and they see peace and they see love and acceptance and safety and all of those things. But the problem is we've put, it, we've put a basket over our light. That's why he loses the second thing. He says, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Now you're probably thinking, I don't do that. That's foolish. Why would you light a candle and then put a basket on it in your house? That defeats the purpose. But we've done that. 
We come and we proclaim that we are followers of God, and yet we go out into the world and do we share that love, the source of God? No, we get on a rant. We let our personal convictions get ahead of us. Our personal will gets ahead of us, and we no longer think about God's kingdom, but we think about our kingdom. And that's where Jesus is the reason we come back, and He's the source. God's the source. He's the direction we need. That's why John wrote in, in John 1, 4, he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. You see, light, in a, light is a caring community, drawing people in. We are to be that city that people, that draw people to. We are to give the direction for God's kingdom. God's our source, and we help guide them, give them direction to that source. We are to give them peace, and that only comes by trusting in God. You can't do it on your own, and you're going to fail, and you're going to stumble. That's why you have to come back to the source of light, but there's always light, We are not living in complete darkness. There is a light and his name is Jesus and you have to look to him. And if you look to him, then you're going to reflect his light to others. So be God's light to those around you. And then he doesn't end there. Here's, Here's a third kind of command. He says, verse 16, let Your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until the heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You see, the third thing we've got to keep in mind is that we have got to let God use us to complete his will by keeping and teaching the gospel. Not keeping and teaching our traditions, not keeping and teaching the things we think are right, keeping and teaching the love of God through his son Jesus who came down and sacrificed himself for us so that we can live eternally. We just sang multiple songs about that. If you haven't figured out how to praise God, then you need to rewatch this sermon and rewatch the music part of it because that's all we've been doing is praising God. We're crowning him with majesty. We're showing him that he is king. We are celebrating that God so loved us. We're sharing in the blessed assurances that he gives us so that we can surrender it all back to him. That's worship. It doesn't have to be in a room. It doesn't have to be in a certain building. It can be wherever you take it. Wherever you keep it and wherever you continue teaching that that's the love of God. That's the grace of God. 
It says, let your light shine. The Greek of that word, the verb of that word, is it's an imperative verb, which means it's constantly going. It's active. It's not passive. It's not from before. It's right now. Once again, going back to that word are, presently, where you are right now, let God use you to complete his will. It's his will that you should be focused on, not your own. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Life Together, and he he said this, he says, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. For Jesus alone is our unity. He is our peace. Through him alone do we have access to one another, joy in one another, and fellowship in one another. You see, we want to be a community of salt and light. The desire for this church is to be a salt and light. Our pastor is being salt and light by letting one of the associate minister take a pulpit while he's still in town. You laugh, but do you know how many pastors do that? Not to criticize them, not to push them down, but I know many pastors don't want to give up the pulpit. Why? Because we enjoy preaching. He enjoys preaching it, but he listened to the word of God. He listened to God's presence and said, I need to take a step back. And he let someone else fill the pulpit while he was still in town. That's salt and light. That's a prime example for us to see and replicate being salt and light. You see, Jesus describes these attitudes of his disciples. He's describing them as being blessed and they are the poor in spirit. They are the meek. They are the humble. They are the one crying and weeping and moaning. They're not the elite. They're not in charge. They're just ordinary people. And then he looks at them and says, you, all the people I've described, you're salt salt of the earth and light of the world. Common elements that they would see every day so that they could be reminded of who they are in Christ. So when they start doubting their identity as a community, when they start doubting who God told them that they were, they can look back and say, I'm salt of the earth and light of the world. The disciples of Christ had to keep a godly character in order to keep the world from crumbling from the evil spiritual bacteria that Satan is putting onto this world. In order for the world to keep from decaying, Christians must sprinkle Christ's healings to keep Satan from getting his germs onto the world. As Bonhoeffer also describes, he says, a visible community Their discipleship, visible in action, is which lifts them out of the world, and otherwise it would not be discipleship. See, Jesus wants his followers to be seen. He wants them to be recognized. He wants no doubt in people's minds that they are the community of the kingdom of God. And the only way you can do that is being salt and light. So maybe you're sitting here, maybe you're sitting in your living room, maybe you're sitting wherever you are, and you're wondering, well, I don't know if I'm salt and light. Well, the first question I would have for you is, do you know the source of both of them? And it's God, the creator. 
Have you committed your life and have you repented your sins to this God through Jesus and saying Jesus is wiping away those sins? Maybe that's the first step. Maybe you didn't realize that discipleship meant losing yourself for God's glory. You see, you would need to sit down and you would need to pray and ask God for forgiveness and say, God, I am a sinner and I need you. I need you to take over my life. What I'm doing right now is not bringing peace and I need your peace. Enter into my life so that I can live in a relationship with you. It's a simple prayer. You can say that prayer. If you need help, you can always email us or call the church office. Somebody will talk to you and help you get there. For a lot of the people in this room and all that are listening to me, you may have been salt and light at one point, but you are not that at right now, if I'm honest. You've lost, you've lost the flavor. You've lost being a light because you've let darkness take over or maybe you've put too much salt onto something and maybe you need to repent where you are. You need to repent and say, God, I'm not being the disciple you've called me to be. I've let my own agenda get ahead of myself. Help me get back to being the salt of the earth and light of the world. Or maybe it's just us. You've been doing a great job, but you just need to continue and you need the encouragement. And I'm here to tell you that if you are the salt and you are the light and you're showing the gospel to those around us, continue. We need it more than ever. People need to see that we are a kingdom not about our own, we are a kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. We are what God created at the very beginning, and we can only do that through his son. So as we close this time, I pray that you will think about these things. Think about and ask that question who you really are. And if you can't answer it, I'm the salt of the earth and light of the world well, then maybe you need to work through some things. The pastor will be up front if you need to talk. The altar will be here to pray, or you can do it in your home. You can call us, text us, whatever you need to do. But as the band comes, let us close this time with prayer. Father, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you so much for your grace because it's through those things we can have hope. When everything else seems to be going away and we are confused, you are still there because you are constant. You're the same today as you were in the past and that you are in the future. You are the same. And I thank you for that. I pray that you will continue working in us and allow us to be that community, your community, that is full of people that are being salt and light. In your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.